previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. You end up relying on Carson Wentz, who's about as reliable as a table that's got three legs, and it was just tough to watch. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where we talk with guests about their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. We're in the second episode of our NFL Playoff Preview. With the NFC Playoff Field set, I'm going to take a look at the teams who are in the hunt but just missed a cut. I'll be talking with fans of the following NFC teams who were pretenders. David Cabrera talks about a Washington football team that was riding high to get back to 500 before losing four of its last five to end the season. David Krause discusses his beloved Minnesota Vikings, whose coach Mike Zimmer was on his way out following another disappointing finish. And Amanda Gruss shares her thoughts on a New Orleans Saints team that did everything it needed to to go down to the wire on the final weekend for a playoff spot, but saw their chances slip away with the outcome of the Rams 49ers game. And now, here's the rest of the NFC contender field. And here with me to talk about the Washington football team is longtime fan David Cabrera. David, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Taking your time out of your busy schedule to talk about this team, which tends to toy with the emotions of their fan base a lot. <laughs> Been toying with my emotions for 20 plus years. So <laughs> my dad even longer. That is an interesting story. And I know you said it runs through the family. One of the things I wanted to ask you, how did you become a fan of the Washington football team slash Redskins slash Burgundy and gold slash, as I call them, the teamers. How did that start? So it started back in 99, which coincidentally enough was Dan Snyder's first season owning the team. And ever since the team has just gone. But anyway, 99 was a pretty good year. They won a division and what sealed Weirdly enough, what sealed my fate as a fan was the playoff game against Tampa Bay. That's like the one game that I remember vividly when I was that young. So we're talking about 99. So that game was like January 2000. So I was seven. And that's probably like the one of the first football games that I remember vividly. And I just remember the they had a chance to, I think, Tyre win it. And it was a bad snap. And I remember sitting there with my dad after the game, and I was like, man, this is how it feels. This sucks, but, hey, this is awesome. Hopefully we get to do this next year. And <laughs> waited a very – well, not a very long time, but had to wait until Joe Gibbs came back to uh, experience playoff football again. So It makes me think of being an Orioles fan in 1997. I'm thinking, Ooh. yeah, you know, that run, yeah. the sure the Indians – uh, knocked him out, and you know, playoffs are a crapshoot. I'm like, yeah, they'll be back next year. And then it was 15 years till they made the playoffs. But <laughs> you know, that's how it is with any long suffering fan base of any sport where you think yeah. they're right on the precipice, they're going to be back better than ever. And then there's so much uh, futility in between those moments. But to you, standing out, what is your most memorable moment as a fan of the Washington football team? Man, part of me wants to pick either the 05 or the 07 seasons just because of those miraculous playoff runs, you know, run toward the playoffs, especially 07 with the death of Sean Taylor. But the 2012 season was exciting. I mean, 
three and six was <laughs> much like this season. You know, he started three and six and then, you know, reeled off seven straight wins to get to the playoffs. But, you know, that being RG3's rookie year and him being drafted number two overall and him starting right away and having success and then unfortunately being injured in the Baltimore game and then he came back and played decently enough on one leg. And then the game against Seattle, you know, thought we had that game won. And then he uh, messed up his knee again and ultimately tore his ACL. And then the defense couldn't stop Russell Wilson. As far as most memorable year, 2012 really sticks out to me simply because of RG3. And I can't forget Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris was balling that year. And the defense was so-so, but they made enough great plays. I mean, the Thanksgiving game against Dallas uh, stands out to me as well. So, yeah, the 2012 team for sure. Expectations coming into the season. Again, reeling off a winning streak to make into the playoffs. Everybody can say what they want about that finale against the Giants. But the fact is they made the playoffs and they gave Tampa Bay a scare. Taylor Heineke really coming from obscurity mm-hmm. and starting in place of Alex Smith and leading them to a really close defeat. I know no one ever wants to take moral victories into account, but really there's a lot of thoughts and momentum going into that season. But what were you expecting coming into the year? Did you think it was a fluke? Did you think, okay, we won it in a division where Philadelphia was bad. The Giants were horrible. Dallas was missing their quarterback. What were your thoughts on the season? I knew that Dallas was going to be back simply because Dak was back. And anytime that Dak is the quarterback and he stays healthy throughout the season, Dallas just has success. I mean, it's been proven every year that he's been healthy. So as far as expectations for the teamers, as you like to call them, I was thinking like nine, ten wins. I didn't think last year was a fluke. I thought the defense, especially with – pieces like William Jackson and Jamin Davis in the draft are only going to add to the talent on that defense. And then offensively, I know there were question marks as far as a quarterback, but I thought that there was enough talent at running back with Gibson, Terry McLaurin, who's a superstar, and with Logan Thomas at tight end that no matter who was back there at quarterback, they were going to have success. And the first Nine games of the season proved me very, very wrong. <laughs> was there a particular point in the season that you were confident that Washington's going back to the playoffs? Was there a particular game? Was there a particular moment that made you optimistic? These past two games against Tampa Bay and Carolina have slowly brought up my level of optimism. After the Broncos game, uh <laughs> My expectations for the season were very low. I was thinking maybe even 2022, you know, we need to start looking at quarterback and getting rid of the offensive and defensive coordinator. But whatever they did during the bye week just has paid off in, in spades these past two games. I mean, limiting Tom Brady and that Buccaneers attack that I think besides Dallas, no, I think they were like the number two scoring offense in the in the league. And, you know, the defense was able to shut them down. And, and most of that game, you know, they didn't have Chase Young, who tore his ACL. And offensively, you know, they were able to run the ball. And Taylor Heineke was able to pick his spots. And they were able to duplicate that again against Carolina. And I think that's a that was a formula that worked for them last year. And I was hoping they would get back to it. And these past two games, they've just 
relied on the run and have just kept big plays to a minimum. You know, they kept everything in front of them. So what was the point in the season where you were about to say it's a code red game as taking the words from Jay Gruden? <laughs> uh, gotta love Jay. The game that was really a code red game was the Broncos game. They just didn't have any life. I mean, the defense was playing well and offensively, anytime they got inside the red zone, they just couldn't do anything. And Taylor Heineke was airmailing passes all over the field. And they just would not stick with the run. I just, I didn't understand it. You know, you, you got to run the ball in order to set up the pass. I mean, that's, that's a tried and true statement. So my sentiment after that Broncos game were very low as far as them having a chance to make the playoffs or any type of noise going into the second half of the season. In the case that Washington gets hot again, makes the playoffs, who do you feel they match up the best with in the NFC? Match up the best with. Let's see. So if they were to make the playoffs right now, they'd be the seventh seed. I I think even though they've gotten hot, they match well with Tampa. They match well with Tampa Bay. That's the one team that, for whatever reason, gives Tampa Bay fits. Well, besides New Orleans, they have a defensive line, even though they don't have Chase Young and Montez Sweat, that can get to Brady. If their corners can stay physical with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and all them guys, you know, defensively they can win and. I know Tampa Bay has a very, very stout – they're very stout against the run. But, you know, in the past two games that they've played Washington, you know, we've had success running the ball on them, and Taylor Heineke has made enough plays to to win the game. And when you think about Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel coming back to an offense that's propelling up, you know, that's on the upward slope, um, that's exciting. And as far as a team that – they match up well with, I would have to say Tampa Bay. And, you know, it's going to raise a couple of eyebrows. But again, in the playoffs last year and the game this season, Washington has played them pretty well. Who in the NFC playoffs would scare you as a Washington football team fan? I know close calls against Green Bay. A lot of these other teams don't look as <laughs> invincible as people may think. But to you, who gives you the scares? Is it Dallas? Is it the Rams? Is it the Cardinals? The Cardinals. The Cardinals scared the bejesus out of me. Cliff Kingsbury is very innovative. Kyler Murray is going to come back into the fold. He's just a dynamic player, you know, running the ball, passing the ball. DeAndre Hopkins, Nuke, my goodness, that guy's a baller. A.J. Green, Rondell Moore, Zach Ertz, who in Philly gave Washington so many nightmares. And then defensively, they got so many – Ball hogs, most of them underrated. You know, when people think of the Cardinals defense, you think of Buda Baker and, you know, on the D-line, Chandler Jones. But, you know, there's some unheralded guys in the secondary. But as far as one team that I'm scared to play in the playoffs would be Arizona. And if we get that seven seed, ooh, and we have to go to Arizona, that'd be a tough task for sure. It's been a part of the Washington football team culture, basically since the early 2000s, struggle out of the gate, maybe be mediocre, 
get to middling levels, and then come week eight or nine, mm. start running on a streak. It happened mm-hmm. during Joe Gibbs. It happened during Mike Shanahan. It happened during Jay Gruden. It happened last year with Ron Rivera. What is the issue that causes them to start out slow out of the gate and then have to play catch up for the rest of the year? It's just, my goodness. Well, in the Joe Gibbs years, it's just been slow starts offensively. Just trying to, and, and I think overall, just slow starts offensively have just played the the team, and too much has been asked of the defense. I mean, this year it was just a complete uh, garbage fire on both sides of the ball. I just I don't know what happened there. But as far as historically, Gibbs, Shanahan, Gruden, and now Rivera, there just has to be a way to find some some sort of consistency offensively. If you're going to run the ball, run the ball. If you're going to pass the ball, don't pass the ball all the time. <laughs> you're not the, the Rams or the Buccaneers or one of these offenses that, you know, you can pass the ball around the yard and you have a quarterback that's – you know, top tier that can do that for you. So as far as what to do next season to get off to a better start, just keep things simple offensively. Just run the ball. And if it doesn't work out, try to get creative, but not creative to the point where you're committing penalties or doing dumb stuff that, puts your defense behind the eight ball. So that's my answer. (laughs) Going to the predictions for the Super Bowl. Who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins it all? And what's the final score? As far as the NFC, until this man retires, I'm going to pick Tampa Bay from the NFC. They've, they've gotten on quite a good streak here. I mean, yesterday against Indianapolis, I was able to catch the last bit of it. But there's just something about having Brady under center that just galvanizes the whole entire team. I mean, Fournette, four rushing touchdowns. The defense was able to shut down Jonathan Taylor for a majority of the game. So as far as the NFC, Tampa Bay, AFC, whoo! <laughs> Part of me wants to pick Kansas City simply because I, I feel like they're they're back. Patrick Mahomes has made some adjustments. He's tried to make the game simple offensively. Defensively, they come alive. Chris Jones is a monster. He's an underrated pick for me as far as defensive player of the year. So right now, November 29th, I would have to go with a Super Bowl rematch of Tampa Bay and Kansas City. And a final score would be 28-17. I think Kansas City gets the revenge this time. And I think the score is going to be 35-30. to That is a close one, and I know that Patrick Mahomes has to exercise some demons against Tom Brady. doesn't matter if it's New England or if it's Tampa, that Tom Brady's had his number over the years. But um, as we start to wrap things up, do you have any shout-outs you want to give to, anything you want to promote, and where can people find you on social media if you have that? 
Man, well, first off, thank you for having me, Earl. Uh, it's been almost eight years since we worked together at the Daily Times. You know, you were a staff writer. Me, I was a lowly intern trying to crack jokes towards Ryan and, and Sean and them. You guys are probably like, what is this kid doing? Oh, my gosh. He kind of knows how to write. He kind of has a personality. I don't know. But, um, but shout out to you and, you know, what you're doing. You know, shout out to your wife. I know you guys are you know, expecting your first child, that's always exciting. So shout out to my wife, Cassandra, love you, baby. Shout out to my children, Izzy, Lily, and my unborn daughter, whose name I will shout out when she is born. And as far as where you can follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at D underscore R Cabrera. That's all lowercase. I do have a podcast. It's called, well, I was kind of toying with the name a little bit. At first it was four minute drill but then the episodes end up being longer than four minutes so now it's just called the unnamed sports podcast with david cabrera uh, i post episodes weekly on podbean and i try to post the link on my facebook and twitter page and yeah that's uh that's pretty much it and we'll see if washington can keep it going or if they just continue to Pour salt into the wounds of longtime Washington fans. And here with me to talk about the Minnesota Vikings, someone you've seen on the podcast on different versions. He previously represented the Vikings last year. Longtime fan, David Krause. How you doing, David? Hey, Earl. I'm doing pretty good this evening. As I normally start these off, as I've asked everyone who's been a part of this, how did you become a Vikings fan? And what was the attraction to them? Yeah, so I've been a, a Vikings fan Earl now for approximately 25 years. And I was a Randall Cunningham fan. I was just kind of a casual football fan growing up here in Pittsburgh. My mother raised me, but she was never into sports, didn't watch football. So the first glimpse I got of the Steelers was the, the 95 Super Bowl, which they played in 96, January 96 against Dallas and you know, Dallas just obliterated them. And I just said to myself, I don't understand why people like this team. So I just started watching random football games. And uh, I think it was Thanksgiving the next year, or actually later that year, November, and I watched uh, the Vikings. And I drew some interest with Randall Cunningham, who is my all-time favorite quarterback. And they were on TV. I liked their style of play. Dennis Green was the coach at the time. I liked him. I liked his energy. And I like, especially, you know, my daughter will tell you the uniforms drew interest to me as well. You know, the purple pe people eaters, you know, I was like, oh, that, you know, that's a cool looking team. So I watched a couple other games and, you know, like I said, watched uh, Cunningham. And then uh, two years later, they drafted Randy Moss. And, you know, I, I said, you know, I, I got to stay committed to this team. Mm -hmm. Now, and sometimes one player, that's all it takes to get uh, someone to follow a team. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's the toughest thing is trying to stick with that team after that player is gone because that's always a tough balance yeah for sure i would agree with that i knew who cunningham was in philly but you know that was kind of an era before i really got into football um but uh yeah i definitely followed his career post minnesota and people were surprised to hear that you know he's my favorite quarterback ever so what is your most memorable Vikings moment? I know there has to be a lot of good ones. And of course, memorable can always be on the negative side too. But to you, what is your most memorable Vikings moment? Well, there's a lot of heartbreakers. So I'll stick to more to the positive side. And, 
there's three that I that come to mind. Obviously, the the most recent one is the Minneapolis miracle against the Saints. Uh, they were down and out. Game was pretty much over. You know, Saints are celebrating on the sideline, and then uh, you know, fourth down, Case Keenum finds Diggs on the right side of the field. Um, Diggs catches it off of Marcus Williams' whiff. Doesn't go out of bounds alertly. Just catches it. Keeps going all the way to the touchdown. Takes his helmet off. Throws it. Gives a cold stare to the crowd, and I was so fired up that day. They got shredded the next week against Philly, but that was definitely a, a memorable one. And two other ones I think of Earl. This is kind of a, a forgotten one, but I was always a big Brett Favre fan. I liked his style of play, but uh, when he came to Minnesota and had a great year, and then when Minnesota brought back Randy Moss, Favre to Moss for number 500 for Favre was pretty memorable because those were two players I never thought would even play together, let alone you know hit the history books together. And then the third one I'll go with is so my favorite running back of all time is Adrian Peterson. And to see him as a rookie break the single game rushing record against the Chargers was just something special. 296 yards rushing and just an awesome, awesome performance. And he was a rookie, you know, just flat out dominant. That was definitely a, a cool stat. But I guess uh, number one on my list would definitely be the, the Minneapolis Miracle. Expectations going into the season, I know disappointing and to the season seven and nine. What were you hoping that the Vikings could do? And do you feel like they were able to make any huge additions in that offseason? Um, I guess I'll go back two years ago when they signed Michael Pierce from Baltimore and he cut, he sat out the 20 season due to COVID. So it was interesting to see what he would bring to the table. I know he was banged up this year and looking forward to Donnell Hunter coming back. And he got off to, I think he had six sacks in his first five games, and then he got hurt and, and he's out for the season now. But I was hoping that this might be the year that Cousins kind of gets them over the hump that and, you know, that Zimmer would kind of run away with the division, you know, with all the Aaron Rodgers drama with, you know, Chicago having quarterback issues and Detroit being Detroit. I thought that we could compete with Green Bay this year for that NFC North title, but obviously it hasn't happened for various reasons. But I will say that I've been impressed with the way the Cousins has played this year. He had a couple stinker games, but for the most part, if you look at his statistics, you know, compare him to, to the best in the league, you know, he's right up there at the top. And I know, especially with, with Cousins, the, the knock on him was, you know, you get good Kurt and then sometimes he'll make some of the mind-numbingly shocking decisions. And it seems like they've been really minimized this year as especially look at his touchdown to interception ratio but what do you think has been a reason that Kirk Cousins has been more successful than he has been this year in the past yeah that's a good question I think he's kind of uh you know understanding the defense a little bit better you know where before he would just gonna kind of get sacked and go down or you know have no pocket awareness now I feel watching him this year he's been a little bit better of stepping up when he feels pressure on the outside and finding the open guy. Conklin's had a big year. Jefferson, obviously, in year two is becoming a superstar. And I don't think they're the same offense without Adam Thielen. He's missed the last couple games. And Kirk's had a couple of interceptions the last two games without Thielen out there, kind of forcing everything into Jefferson. But pocket awareness is one. And I just think the development of Jefferson and, and Conklin's been the beneficiary with Rudolph no longer getting targets. And then obviously Irv Smith being out for the season. He's been probably a top five or 10 tight end in the league as far as fantasy production and um, receptions and targets and things like that. So I've been impressed with those guys. KJ Osborne as a number three receiver has really stepped up and won a couple games with some big time touchdowns. So I think that's all helped Kirk. And, you know, he's, he's learning to 
you know, it's okay to get sacked. It's okay to go down. Don't force feed things. Don't throw jump balls up there. You know, when you don't need to throw it out of bounds and don't turn the ball over. And I think he only has, I believe that he's only up to six picks this year, 29 touchdowns, just under 3,800 passing yards, like 102 quarterback rating. So yeah, like I said, I've been really impressed with his overall performance thus far this year. He's definitely not the reason that uh, the Vikings have lost games. Was there a point in the season you felt very optimistic that the Vikings were going to the playoffs? Was there a particular win that stood out to you? Was it any game over the, the Seahawks? Was it beating the Packers and beating the Chargers? Yeah, you know, you could say all of the above. You know, Seattle was has been always a problem for Minnesota in the past, especially in the playoffs. You know, Russell Wilson's always a tough out, but the Viking kind of handled them pretty easily. I think Seattle and Chicago this past week are the only two games that they've played that haven't been a one-possession game as far as the total score at the end of the game. I think that, to answer your question, yeah, I think the Chargers was huge. The Steeler win, although it was an ugly second half for them, kept them alive in this playoff picture. And Green Bay, for sure, that's always a tough game. You know, Rodgers had a chance there at the end to seal the deal for Green Bay, but uh, Minnesota hung in there and finished them off. So there's a couple games that I would like to see them close out and, and win that they lost. But the Green Bay game definitely said, okay, you know, if we can, looking at the schedule here, if we got the Lions coming up, we got the Steelers, you know, these are all winnable games and, you know, take care of business, you can put yourself in a position. But the Detroit game kind of ruined things, but still in an okay chance to maybe sneak in there. Was that the point you were worried about them making the playoffs, that loss to the Lions, especially I know the, the Lions had a lot of emotion going on with everything that occurred. But did you think not only was this the the death knell to the season, that this could mean my Zimmer is gone? 100% to both questions. Even the first time they played Detroit, it came down to a last-minute Joseph field goal, which I thought was too close. But, you know, you, you get going in with the winless team. They only tied Pittsburgh, and you completely struggle – um, in the second half, Jared Goff has had an awful year, makes third down play after third down play, had one of his better games of the season against Minnesota that game, and lose on the la very last play of the game. You know, no time left, nothing to look forward to. So that was a real heartbreaker. And um, I had always been one of those people that's kind of stood up and had Mike Zimmer's back. But, you know, I think he's just really turning into a mediocre coach at if you want five or six wins, you'll get five or six wins, but you're not going to win a division title easily. You're going to struggle when he's, you know, for a defensive guy, you know, he's just not doing what you would think that he would do consistently as far as defensive pressure at the end of the game and schemes and Blitz and Harrison Smith are doing whatever you need to do. So, yeah, I think it's probably, you know, unless they may not only make the playoffs and win the playoffs, I think Zimmer has reached the end of his tenure in Minnesota. And yeah, looking at the schedule, I saw Detroit, I saw Pittsburgh, I saw Chicago, I saw the Rams who've been struggling with good teams. Um, and I saw the Packers who Minnesota already beat. And I said to myself, you know, you take care of business and you know, you're in good shape, but you know, in the NFL, you gotta win, you gotta beat teams like Detroit because especially when you're playing against the Chargers or Arizona early in the season and you just don't know how the, the season, you know, an offense like the Rams coming up, you got to win games like that against teams like that. Looking to the matchup of the NFC playoffs and the situation the Vikings make the playoffs, who do you think they match up the best with in the NFC? Is it Green Bay? Is it the Cardinals who might be struggling right now? Is it somebody else that you think that the Vikings can get fat off of and make a run? 
I think it's Green Bay 100%. Um, you know, like I said, they already had momentum from beating them early in the season and just the familiarity with the team being in the division. Um, I think, you know, they can beat them at any time, you know, whether it's on the road or at home. But with that said, I don't know if right now with, with all the injuries and the COVID stuff and, you know, the season enders too, it looks like Griffin's going to be done. Irv Smith never played. Danelle Hunter. Peterson looks like he's banged up. Michael Pierce was banged up earlier. Barr, Barr missed some time. Rashad Breland just got cut. Thielen's dealing with a high ankle sprain. Now Cook's out with COVID. Uh, Madison had COVID. I don't know if he's back or eligible to play yet. So I just think there's a lot of question marks on this team right now as far as the condition of their health going into this final stretch of the games. But if and when we get there, yeah, I, I would be, you know, I would like our chances against Green Bay more than a little bit more than most others. On the other side of the coin, who in the NFC playoff race scares you as a Vikings fan? The team that you don't want to see? Um, I guess you could say Tampa Bay, just because of Brady and, you know, that elite defense when they're out there healthy. Um, but I also think that San Francisco has historically been a bad matchup for Minnesota, you know, especially in the playoffs, you know. It's just something about, you know, their, their defenders and the way that they play. Kittle's a bad matchup for them. Um, Samuel usually goes off. Bosa's unblockable. Garoppolo, not my favorite quarterback, but seems to play well against Minnesota when he's out there. So, you know, that, that, that um, yeah, San Francisco seems to have our number. But yeah, I would say the fear factor, probably for sure, Tampa Bay more than most teams. Although they've got some key injuries too right now. So, you know, Godwin's out for the season. Evans is banged up. And, you know, Fournette's probably not going to play the rest of the regular season. So, um, there's some question marks on this team as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of it plays out. What do you say has been the issue with the Vikings? As you said, Cousins isn't the problem this time. And I know even there are times where I've seen where Kirk Cousins actually had a good run and you couldn't blame it on him. It was some other outside factor that caused his teams to struggle, whether it was in Washington, whether it's in Minnesota. But what do you think has been the Achilles heel of the Vikings so far this season? Greg Joseph's had a good season, but, you know, there there are some, you know, some kicks that he's missed. Um, he missed a chip shot against Arizona, which would have gave them their first loss earlier in the season. Um, but just, yeah, just I, I think turnovers as a whole, you know, um, Dalvin Cook fumbled against Cincinnati and earlier, in, I think it was week one, actually, um, in overtime. And I, thought, I actually thought his knee was down, but the refs didn't overturn it. That was a huge, you know, huge swing. They were positioning themselves to kick a field goal. And then since he comes around and, and does the same to, to win the game. But yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, I'm going to go the kicking woes. But more importantly, it's it's the defense 100%. They don't have a, especially without Hunter Griffin, who I, I wasn't crazy that they even brought him back. But he had a surprisingly good run while he was out there. You know, he had high energy. He was making plays. He was getting sacks. He was all over the field. And then he just, you know, had to take some time off with his mentality and his personal issues that he had to take care of. Um, so without those guys, they, I mean, they got some good guys up front, you know, Sheldon Richardson and Michael Pierce are, are good tackles, but they're just not really getting a consistent pass rush. And, you know, like I said, the prevent defense that Zimmer had against Detroit near the end there and, and doesn't that, you know, he seems to just kind of be way too lax, you know, yeah, I mean, we saw it last, we saw it against Pittsburgh two weeks ago. You know, um, and even Chicago, you know, Fields brought them back and, you know, they just get, I don't know if it's just, they just get too comfortable with leads or, you know, it's just, you know, just lack of discipline. But that's where I kind of looked to Zimmer to try to get that beefed up. But 
every time they seem to blitz bar or Harrison Smith, they have success or they get something going. I mean, that's what they did against the Steelers in the first half. But uh, yeah, just too many crunches, too many collapses late in the second halves, too many leads blown and too many last second heartbreaks that, again, like you said, it's not Cousins by by any means. Going into the Super Bowl prediction, who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins the game? What is the final score? Yeah, I think so. Most people will probably tell you in the NFC, maybe Tampa Bay or even Green Bay because the number one seed. But I'm actually going to go with the Rams, even without Woods. I like the OBJ signing, and I like uh, I like Van Jefferson there to help out. You know, Cup and and some of the tight ends that they have. Uh, it looks like they're going to get Cam Akers back. I don't know to what extent he'll play, if at all. But you compliment him with Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson. You know, Stafford's having one of his better seasons. And, uh, you know, the signing of Vaughn Miller to go with Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd. And then you have uh, Ramsey on the back end. Reader's been playing well at outside linebacker. That, that's kind of a scary team if they're if everyone plays up to their capability. So I'm going to go Rams. And I think the AFC is just too inconsistent. You know, I thought maybe Tennessee, you know, if they got Henry back or if they got AJ and Julio healthy, but, uh, I don't see Holyo being healthy at this point anymore in his career. I do like Brave Bowl a lot, but long story short, I'm going to go with, I think Kansas City ends up back in the Super Bowl, and I think they defeat the Rams in, in, a, in a shootout. I'll go with Kansas City 33, Rams 29. A lot of close games, even though the variety, it, it ranges from shootouts and and to close uh, defensive games, but it looks like it's definitely going to be decided by either a late touchdown or a late field goal from what I've been hearing from everybody else. As we start to wrap this up, do you have any shout outs you want to give to anybody, anything you want to promote? What are ways people can reach out to you and talk Vikings football on social media? Uh, Nothing, nothing to promote. I'm not much of a a seller or anything of that nature. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a shout out for inviting me on here multiple times and, you know, enjoy talking Vikings and answering questions. And I don't see Vikings fans too often, but, you know, every time I see someone with a jersey or something, I'll make sure I go up to them and say hi. And somebody with a Lions jersey caught me the other day. So oh, I can't believe you're wearing Viking stuff after, you know, the Lions beat you guys. And I said, oh, you know, I'm a diehard fan to the end. But yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as Carl's Daddy. K-R-A-U-S Daddy. I'm on Facebook pretty regularly. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, um, Twitter, although I'm not super active. But yeah, anybody who wants to talk sports or, or Vikings football or Braves baseball or jazz basketball or Ohio State college football, you know, I'm, I'm definitely your guy to hit up. And yeah, like I said, Earl, thanks for having me on the show. I, I enjoy these types of things and it's good to talk sports and get the information out there for people. Interestingly, when we first tried this, you were sort of apprehensive about it, but now you become a pro to it. I was, you know, I'm, I'm not a podcast guy. You know, I don't really listen to other podcasts. I'm not one for, you know, especially I didn't know what to expect. I didn't, you know, wasn't sure who would see this, what I would be asked if I was, you know, going to be asked to be put on the spot. But uh, yeah, it's been real easy and, you know, real easy to talk to. And, you know, like I said, I now enjoy coming on and yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to me. And here to talk about the New Orleans Saints and Saints fan, Amanda Gross. Thanks for having me. What made you a fan of the Saints? And what was the big attraction to them? And how were you able to stick with them through thick and thin? <laughs> so it's kind of 
long story how I became a Saints fan because um, I was an Eagles fan. But I am um, a huge animal rights activist, like huge. I've All my dogs and animals have been rescues, including my horses. So when the Eagles signed Michael Vick, I said, if he ever becomes a starter, I'm going to be a Saints fan. And basically the day they made him a starter, I dropped them. And I said, I cannot support an organization that supports a person like this. And I became a Saints fan. And what drew me to them was Drew Brees, Deuce McAllister, Drew Brees, Joe Horn, those guys, the the old school guys that they're squeaky clean. These are good guys. They do a lot for their community. And I have been a Saints fan since that year. It was uh, the beginning of the 2009 season. And I've stuck with them. I, I don't want to drop them. And, the, you know, this has been a tough year for us with Drew Brees' retirement. But just because he's gone, I'm still a Saints fan. I will always be a Saints fan now. And, you know, I've gone to New Orleans to see them and I'm staying with them <laughs> forever. <laughs> what was that transition like? Why the Saints compared to somebody else? I know you mentioned dropping the Eagles, but why the Saints? Why why did they become the next favorite? It could have been anybody else. Yeah, it was Drew Brees. You know, Drew Brees drew me to them. I I... I've always kind of been a fan of his, like when he was with the Chargers, even when he was at Purdue, I followed him a little bit. I just always liked him. He was kind of always the underdog. You know, he was always that guy that was proving everybody wrong. He was little. He was only 5'11", you know, like, and he's one of the top passers in the game ever, you know? So somebody like him drew me to the team. And then I fell in love with the team and I got to know, you know, the rest of the players. I've always been really into fantasy football. So I, I kind of already knew a lot of the players anyway, but that really drew me to them. And you know what? One of my big things was, where would I want to party if they ever win a Super Bowl? <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> that makes the most logical sense, especially when it comes to the partying. Wanting to go into this, what's your most memorable Saints moment? I mean, it's got to be the Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's number one. Watching that interception on on the last play for them to win was like, it was amazing. And it sucks that I didn't get to be there. I, that was the end of the first season that I was actually a fan of theirs. <laughs> it was, it's like I went from zero to a hundred in one season. And it's like my heart just almost exploded when that happened. And just watching that, it was huge. I had never seen anything like that. I never felt anything like that. The way the city blew up after that. And, you know, they just had the greatest time afterwards. And after they went through Katrina in 2005. They lost their stadium and they kind of built back up. And to come out on top where nobody really expected them to was huge. What were your expectations coming into the season? I know 12 and 4 regular season run last year, falling to Tampa Bay. And what was the expectations for the Saints, especially following the announcement of Drew Brees' retirement? So I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I had faith in Jameis Winston. I really did. And I know a lot of people didn't. I know that he struggled in Tampa. I know he had some vision issues and they've all been corrected, but you know, he got to work under Drew Brees for uh, what one or two seasons while he was still there. So I had faith in him. I had faith in Sean Payton to groom him to be the next, I mean, nobody will ever be the next Drew Brees, but to take leadership of the team, you know, he's a veteran quarterback. He did well in Tampa, even though he had trouble with interceptions and things like that. So I mean, I was excited in the beginning of the season. It was especially after the first game, blowing Green Bay out of the water. At that point, I bought in. I was like, "All right, Winston, let's go. Let's let's do this. Let's make this a season." And it's gotten a little weird from there. So, 
I know we were going to say that next thing about the point where you felt the, the Saints could be a contender in the NFC. Was it the blowout of Green Bay or was it any other particular game that made you think, OK, we can do a lot of damage in the NFC? I mean, that first game was great, but then after that, they were up and down every week. It was win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. And then Jameis Winston got hurt on Halloween. They still beat Tampa Bay. So, you know, I still had the faith that, okay, without Jameis Winston, we're going to be able to do this. But it's definitely been an up and down season. I mean, we keep losing player after player, quarterback after quarterback. Taysom Hill was out for a while. Trevor Simeon was in. He just didn't do it. Taysom Hill's back. Taysom Hill is a dynamic weapon, but if he's got nobody who's going to catch the ball, it's been a tough season to say the least. I mean, I'm still there. I'm still there for my team every step of the way, but it's definitely been frustrating after the first few weeks of the season. Was there a particular game that made you take a little pause and what the Saints could do? Was it the loss to the Giants? (sighs) Was it uh, barely holding on against the Jaguars? Was it the blowout by the Panthers? I mean, it could, in your mind, what do you feel was the game that made you think these guys uh, might not make it? The loss to the Giants. The Giants are not a good team. We played down to them. We absolutely played down to them. And, you know, it was it came down to a field goal. What Our kicker, I think, missed five field goals that game or something ridiculous like that. You know, we've had so many injuries that it's just we can't even beat a team like the Giants. Thank God we beat the Jets. I mean, if we hadn't beat the Jets, our season was done. Like, if you can't beat the worst team out there – your season's done. And luckily we didn't play down to the Jets this weekend, but when they lost to the Giants, I was like, they have to pull themselves together. This is, this is not the team I know that they are better than this. Sean Payton is a better coach than this. They pulled together a playoff run with Teddy Bridgewater two years ago, but this is a team that can piece together wins and they have not been able to do it. I mean, they were on a five game slide. They haven't lost that many games. I think since 2010 it was or something like that. So it was definitely worrying seeing them lose to the Giants and then going on that five-game slide after that. That hurts as a fan. That hurts. And they're all close games. So these are all close games that, aside from the blowout with the Panthers, they were all close. They were all games that could have been won if we had made that field goal, if we had not dropped that pass, you know, if we had played better defense, if we hadn't thrown the interception. So there's so many little things, little pieces of the game that just aren't coming together this year for them. Looking at the NFC playoffs and the chance that the Saints make it, who do you feel like in the NFC the Saints match up the best with? I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I feel like we match up really well with Tampa Bay. We're one of the few teams that have been able to put the rushing yards up against them, and we have now with Kamara back and Ingram back and Taysom Hill healthy aside from the broken finger, we we have the legs on the ground, and that's how we're going to have to play it against them because since we are one of the only teams that can put together these, you know, these rushes with the, against their defense, that's what we have to use. And that's what we have to play to. Um, with Taysom Hill, we're not relying on the air ball. We're just not. He's not as accurate. He's not as good of a passer. He's the ground game. He's the trick guy. So we have to rely. We have to rely on the legs. We have to rely on Kamara. We have to rely on Ingram. We have to, all three of those guys are going to have to put together a good game for us to beat them this Sunday. And I really do think we play up to them, whereas sometimes we play down to the teams that aren't quite as good. I feel like we always show up against Tampa Bay. So I'm pulling for them this Sunday, and I'm hoping that they can match up the way I think they can. 
And interestingly enough, it looks like Tampa Bay has issues with teams with running quarterbacks and a powerful running game. We saw what happened with Washington as well. And it seems like that looks like New Orleans and Washington sort of have the playbook on how to beat Tampa, keep Tom Brady off the field and just keep making first downs and minimize the turnovers. And if you can just keep them off the field, that's going to be the benefit. Yeah. Looking at the other side of the coin in the NFC, who do you not want to see in the playoffs and by the chance the Saints make it? Would it be the Cardinals? Would it be Green Bay? Could it be the Rams? Who would you say? Maybe it's one of the other uh, wild cards. I don't want to see the Vikings. The Vikings are the Saints' Achilles heel. They knock them out of the playoffs more times than they don't. Even if they have a worse record, they somehow knock them out all the time. So I do not want to see the Vikings. I don't want to see them. I think three years in a row, they knocked us out and they had a worse record. They were a worse team and we we lost to them. So I, I know they have the same record as us and I know they're not as powerful a team as they were. I still don't want to see them. They still have Dalvin Cook who can run all over everybody. So I don't want to see them. I'd rather see Green Bay again. We play up to the better teams. So I want to see the better teams because I think that the Saints, when they're faced with a a stronger team, they play better. And I don't want to get knocked out by the Vikings again. I can't see. I can't do it. The next question I'm going to ask, Taysom Hill, especially the, the tandem of Taysom Hill and uh, Jameis Winston, Winston going out with the with the knee injury, what's the wrinkle that Taysom Hill adds to that offense is much different than what Drew Brees provided? Well, Taysom Hill is a rushing quarterback. You know, he's got the legs. He's a monster, first of all. He's like 6'5", 250 or something like that. He's fast. He can jump. He can run through those guys that a guy like Drew Brees couldn't. Um, and Winston has legs, but he's not a rushing quarterback. You know, he he was still a pocket quarterback. So Taysom Hill brings this other element, a guy who can not only throw the ball, but he can rush the ball. He can catch the ball. He can play a tight end position. He can block. He's going to get in there and he's going to be physical. He's not going to throw the ball and back away. He's going to throw the ball and he's going to be involved, you know, most of the time. You know, we've seen guys like Cam Newton, RG3, who get injured because they're physical quarterbacks. Um, and Taysom Hill has had his share of injuries, but I, I feel like he brings a dynamic play. And I feel like the players really do trust him. But I think one of the biggest things we're struggling with right now is finding receivers who can catch the ball. I, I mean, just seeing them play the Jets, you know, Camaro was the only one who was catching the ball. He was the only one. I think Callaway had like one catch. And their backup tight end had like one catch. Everything else was Kamara. Like everything was Kamara. The only touchdowns were scored by Kamara and then two by Taysom Hill. So really depending on these guys, they have to put the yards in on the ground. Or they they right now they can't win a game with receivers. They just don't have the hands, which sucks. <laughs> Going into the prediction for the Super Bowl, who do you have coming out of the NFC? Who do you have coming out of the AFC? Who wins the game? And what's the final score? I think out of the AFC, it's going to be Kansas City. They had a rough start, but they've been on fire recently. They've absolutely been running through teams. So I think it's going to be Kansas City out of the AFC. NFC, unfortunately, as much as I hate to say it, I think it's going to be the Bucks. And, you know, I think Mahomes might be able to put another one up this year. I think it's going to be a close game, very offensive game. But, you know, both these teams have pretty good defenses too. So I'm saying Kansas City by three like 30, 27, something like that. I really think Kansas City is going to pull one out this year. Mahomes was kind of embarrassed last year by by Tom Brady, so I think he's going to want to put something together this year and show that he's not a one-timer. He's going to really do it. He's going to beat Tom Brady. He's going to beat a legend, and he's going to 
get that status for himself. Makes sense. And I know everybody's been saying it's going to be a close Super Bowl. It's not going to be one of those blowouts. It'll hopefully not be like the Rams Patriots Super Bowl or even last year's Super Bowl, which was just so disinteresting at a particular (laughs) point. Maybe it's more like the Niners Chiefs, hopefully crossing fingers that is actually exciting, but who knows? As we start to wrap this up, do you have any shout outs you want to give, anything you want to promote and how can people reach out to you on social media to talk to you about Saints? I don't really have any shout outs. You know, Merry Christmas, everybody. Go Saints. My Instagram is agress13. Uh, You can reach out. Feel free to reach out. Yeah, that's really it. (laughs) I don't really have much to promote or anything like that. So um, I'm just excited to see how the rest of the season goes. With these team seasons done, I'm certain there's a lot of hand-wringing about what was wrong with these fans' respective teams and what changes will be made in the offseason. Next time, we'll take a look at the contenders in the AFC playoff bracket. You can also check out the interviews from this and plenty of other episodes of the Sports Refuge podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search for Sports Refuge. As always, all of our episodes can be found wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, as well as on the Sports Refuge website. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of these apps and leave a mention, which we'll read on a future episode. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.